your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6, and I want to read with you beginning in verse 16. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. And also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. So we're talking about prayer today and we're talking about a specific kind of prayer, but uh, the text is the text is moving us to think about a particular kind of prayer. But if you're a newer Christian and you're kind of like, yeah, I kind of have some questions about prayer. I kind of want to know what's the deal with prayer. Well, there are all sorts of different ways of thinking about prayer, but just one of the basic ways is that there are multiple kinds of prayer and three different contexts, three different basic contexts for prayer. When I say there are multiple kinds, uh, someone very helpfully years and years ago said, well, there's adoration and there's confession and there's thanksgiving and there's supplication, which is just another way of saying asking God for things. So there's, there's the adoration in which we worship God. There's confession in which we confess our sins and agree with God about what he has to say about, uh, about what our lives are and are not and what they should be. There's Thanksgiving where we take time repeatedly, really the Bible says all the time, to, to look around and observe God's goodness, not only in the physical world, but his goodness to us in Jesus. And then there's supplication, which is kind of maybe what most of us think about with prayer, and that's just asking God for help and asking God to provide for our needs and so forth. So there's four kinds of prayer generally, and there's three contexts for prayer. And, and those three contexts we see in the Bible are corporate prayer, where we pray together, which we just did. And there's cloistered prayer, and the word cloister just means um, like a private place where you go to pray. So that's kind of like your quiet time or the time you set aside throughout the week to just spend a moment with God. And then there's constant prayer, which is praying throughout your day. So we need all of this. We need every bit of this. We need every format. We need every type. We need every context. We need it all. Puritan Thomas Brooks said, you can as well hear without ears and live without food and fight without hands and walk without feet as you are able to live without prayer. So our focus today is going to be on constant prayer, the idea of praying without ceasing, praying all times, and we'll get to that in a minute. But before we do, just a couple general thoughts about prayer. Now, the first one is, is that as I've tried to help people think about spiritual disciplines over the years, I, I've often kind of thought in my head that what we're really talking about with a spiritual discipline is sort of like building a birdhouse. And what you're doing when you build a birdhouse is not, you're not building the birdhouse to look at the birdhouse, right? You're building the birdhouse, you're, you're, you're choosing to act in some uh, spiritual discipline in order for something to come and fill and occupy that structure that you have erected. In fact, in scripture, this is an interesting kind of uh, pattern you see where there's a structure established and then the spirit fills that structure. And you can see this just over and over again, patterns of this kind of fractally unfolding throughout the scriptures. There's a structure 
and then the spirit fills that structure. So it's kind of like a birdhouse. You build the thing, and then you wait for God to fill the thing with what you need it filled with. And I think this is helpful for people with spiritual disciplines because it's very easy to fall into this game where you begin to think that the birdhouse is the point. And, I mean, I think this is not a stretch. Can you imagine a Facebook group of older men who start to get competitive about their birdhouse building? Can you imagine? I think this is pretty, it might even exist right now. Like, like older men who build birdhouses in their workshop and then take photos of them and then they, like, compete passive-aggressively on Facebook with other older men who are, they're constantly trying to outdo each other. And at some point, you're just building birdhouses to behold birdhouses, right? And at some point, like, these men would even get upset if a bird dirtied their birdhouse, you know? Like, like how dare you? This is, this is a work of art, so forth. Well, you know, our spiritual disciplines, the things that we just kind of choose to do that we know we should do in life, these are structures that really the only thing that matters about them is whether God blesses them and fills them and so forth. And so don't get upset, obsessed with the structures, but don't neglect them either. Some people are kind of on the Pharisaical side of the equation where uh, I, I, I sort of think like the Pharisees built this amazing elaborate structure around the law and then they got really upset when the Christ hen came to roost and, and brought all these dirty you know, tax collectors and prostitute chicks into, into this amazing structure that they had built. Um, but there's another error that I think maybe we're more prone to, and that is to think somehow like, I, wait, I want to see the birds before I build the birdhouse. Like, I want the emotion. I want the experience. And then after I have a feeling or a desire to do such and such, then I'll build the structures. Like, it just doesn't work that way. You can't go out in the yard and lasso birds and bring them back and then say, okay, I've got enough birds. I'm going to build a birdhouse. So there's this sense in which, uh, for us, we just need to, when the Bible says to pray, we just need to say, okay, I've got my little birdhouse kit. It doesn't really matter how nice it is exactly. Uh, the, the point is, is that he told me to build this. I'm going to build this. And he's going to fill it in his time. You know, I was thinking about how marvelous it must have been for the father to, for the first time in his entire uh, uh, interaction with human beings, for the first time when Jesus came to earth, incarnated as the God-man, for the first time ever, God heard perfect prayers come out of human vocal cords. First time ever it ever happened. First time in, in God's interaction with man were there perfect prayers coming through a biological physiological, vocal cords, tongue, mouth, and so forth. But really, the norm, by far, and has been forever, is for God to hear imperfect prayers, right? That's, that's the vast majority of all prayers are imperfect prayers. And so, especially when you're new to praying, you can think the birdhouse matters more than it does. Just put something together, do your best, God will bless it. I read... Uh, I read a uh, such a cute little story. I think maybe there were there was some moisture that came into my eyes when I read this. It was about a little girl. I think we have her picture. Yeah, <laughs> darn it, I'm gonna cry. All right, a little girl uh, wrote a letter. Her name's Meredith, by the way, and her dog's name is Abby. I think that's right. Uh, she wrote a letter to God because her dog passed away. 
And she, here's the letter. Dear God, will you please take care of my dog? She died yesterday and is with you in heaven. I miss her very much. I'm happy that you let me have her as my dog, even though she got sick. <sighs> okay. <laughs> um, I hope you will play with her. She likes to swim and play with balls, and I am sending a picture of her. So when you see her, you will know that she is my dog. I really miss her. Love, Meredith. Anybody else feeling some? <laughs> All right. Can you imagine, you know, a sophomore seminarian picking that prayer apart for all of its theological errors? <laughs> can you imagine that? I can imagine. I think I was that guy. You know, like, now I just cry. I'm like, oh, God, you're so good. You love, you love the dogs and you love, yeah. But no, there's, there's definitely a lot of not great theology in that prayer. God doesn't need a photo of your dog. And there are other things that because we're family integrated, we have all our kids here, I'm not going to get into. But, but lots of theological sketchiness in this prayer. But man, if you think God didn't like this prayer, we're going to meet out in the parking lot and fight. Because I am this invested in Meredith's letter at this point. You know, there's all sorts, like you just have to accept, especially if you're new to praying or this is keeping you from praying, like understand that your prayers are going to have problems. But we serve a God of mercy who has, through Jesus Christ, made Father completely satisfied with us and has, has allowed us to access him through the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And so just build the birdhouse, you know, just, just go ahead and build the birdhouse. There's a second thing I want to talk about prayer in general. And if you look at the text in verse 18, well, actually it's a little bit before verse 18. Um, you can see throughout this, I think in verse 17, yeah, verse 17, you can see this very interesting thing. And this is one more general thing generally about prayer. Look at verse 17. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the spirit with all prayer and supplication. Now, what I just want you to notice something there in verse 17. The sword of the spirit is the word of God. And elsewhere in Hebrews, we're told that the word of God is a, a two-edged sword. So this is familiar language for us. But immediately following that statement, Paul calls us to pray in the Spirit. Now, I think I might point you to this as a second strategy. Don't become obsessed with the structure of your prayers. Number two, pray the Scriptures. Pray the Scriptures. Uh, I want to pass on a book that actually uh, a friend of mine wrote, and I, was, I did not know he wrote this book. I had used this book. I just never paid attention to who wrote it. And uh, I had established a friendship with this guy, and we had been talking for over a year before I realized, oh, you wrote that book that I use pretty often. And that book is a, a book that I think, actually, I wish every Christian would own. And the nice thing is, is that he's made it free on a PDF, and he's made it, uh, he's made it like 99 cents on Kindle. If you want a paperback version, it's kind of hard to get now. But uh, that book is called Take Words With You. And so on the front page of our website, I made sure that if you just go to the front page of our website, which is sovgracekc.org, S-O-V-gracekc.org, you'll find a Kindle link and a PDF link, and you can grab that book there. And then I also posted it this morning to Basecamp. Now, what that book is is just 200 pages 
of scriptures, he is arranged by topic so that you could pray them. Right? Super simple. And sometimes, friends, we, we talked about spiritual warfare last week. Sometimes things get really hot and heavy. And opening up a big old Bible and, and, and navigating all of that in that moment is rough. And this is a kind of place you can turn in those moments where someone has almost like chewed the food a little bit for you, you know, to the baby chick metaphor again. Uh, you know, it's almost like someone has taken care. Well, this is what happened. It's taken care to say, if you're struggling with this, here's the verses you can pray. And if you're struggling with this, here are verses you can pray. Last week we talked about struggling with assurance over our salvation. He's got a whole section there. It's just, here are 30 verses showing you God's delight in saving those who call upon his name, so forth. So this is a wonderful book. If you can get a hold of a paper copy, do it, but they're hard to find. The Kindle version is 99 cents, and the PDF on our website is free. Now, let's move on to the main subject of the text, and that is the idea of constant prayer. Look back at verse 18. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. Commentators take note of this text of four universals, and I've put them up on the screen for you, and that is praying at all times with all prayer and supplication, Keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So, four alls in this little verse. And this allness, these, these alls, are reference to that third category of prayer I talked about, or the third context of prayer I talked about, which is constant prayer. Uh, praying without ceasing. Just so you know, if you read that, and it says pray at all times, or pray without ceasing, that's a little bit of hyperbole and mostly not hyperbole. There's, there's a way that Paul's speaking about that in which he knows that you're not literally capable. No one is of praying constantly, though Christ himself is and does for you on your behalf. And Romans 8 tells us the Spirit does this for you on your behalf. But when he says it, he basically just means this needs to be a major part of your life. This needs to be a major focus. So that's what we're talking about today. Well, one way to think about this is we're shifting the focus a little bit from what is normally discussed when we talk about prayer in, in the Christian life, and that is the quiet time piece, the cloistered prayer piece. We're taking a shift today, and we're saying, let's shift our, our target, our aim, uh, not, not, not in, in terms of rejecting the quiet time, but let's shift our aim and say, let's stop, let's think less about quiet times, and let's think more about all the times. And let's think about constant prayer as our goal. So my question uh, to you is, is like, what do you, think it would, what do you think would happen if you started engaging in constant prayer? What do you think your life would be like? What do, you, what do you think your day would go like? What do you think would change as a consequence of you developing this discipline, which Paul commends to pray at all times? Well, John Stott predicts great success. So you should trust John Stott on this one, I think. Uh, he says, this is a paraphrase, I couldn't find the exact quote, but he said something like, most Christians pray sometimes with some prayers and some degree of perseverance for some of God's people. Right? But to replace some with all in each of these expressions 
would be nothing less than a spiritual revolution. Our entire lives would change for the better, and our churches would be far healthier if we replaced some with all. So how are you, as a Christian, measuring the health of your prayer life? If I hadn't told you what I'm talking about today, and I had said, how's your prayer life? What's the first thing you would have thought about? Well, I think for a lot of Christians, the first thing they would have thought about was that second context of prayer we mentioned, the cloistered prayer, the quiet time. I think most Christians would have said, well, let me answer that question by thinking back how many times this week that I have a successful quiet time. Nothing wrong with that. But I would tell you, I think if you would adjust your measuring unit, not to, did I have a successful quiet time today, which is a worthy, good goal, but if you begin to adjust your expectations for your prayer life to, did I engage in constant prayer? Did I engage in all prayer? Uh, that would be better for you, would be better for those in your life, and it would be better for the church at large. In fact, that's kind of really my main goal of this message. It's just to, to get you to ask that question more regularly. Am I living a life of constant prayer? Am I living a life in which I am engaged in prayerful conversations with my God throughout the day? I think that's a better question to ask. And, and that's the one I hope you will ask. And I'd say that for at least three reasons. The first one is, is that the Bible regularly commands praying without ceasing. First Thessalonians 5, 16 through 18. Be joyful always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Joy instantly, uh, by the way, there is, I think, a birdhouse. Like, you make choices and hope and trust that the joy bird will come and land. Uh, it's a choice. It's commanding it. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 through 7. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. And Romans 12, 12, rejoice in hope, be patient in tribulation, be constant in prayer. So why are we uh, aiming to be prayers all the time, constant praying? Why are we aiming for that? One reason is because the Bible kind of commands it, does command it. But there's a second reason, and that is simply this. You know, the gospel bought this for you. This is, this is what Jesus purchased for you. He purchased communion with God. Uh, you, won't, you won't be having uh, uh, 30 minutes with God alone in heaven uh, when you die. You know, that's not the way it'll work. It, it's going to be, you will be in constant fellowship and communion with God. And that's the end game that's the goal line, if you will, of the gospel. He saved us to adopt us and make us his children and spend eternity with us. It's, it's absurd. I have no idea why he'd want to do that. But, but that's the goal of the gospel. And so when you practice constant prayer, conversational prayer, when you're speaking to God, your father, throughout your day, you're actually exercising one of the key resources and wealth deposits of the gospel. You're spending gospel currency on the thing that he bought for you. He, he wants you to do this. He, he, he saved you to do this. And number three, here's the third reason why I think this constant prayer is the right 
aim for most of us, and that is, isn't the basic struggle of Christianity to integrate what we know about God into all of our life, right? And not just, I mean, don't we have the whole Sunday thing down and maybe even have like the 30-minute thing with God down? But isn't the place that we're all struggling how to get God into Tuesday at 3 p.m.? You know, like, isn't that the challenge? Well, that's what, that's the real challenge for most Christians. That's the real challenge of sanctification, And so what we're talking about with constant prayer, I think, is almost synonymous with sanctification itself. We're trying to bring, allow the Lord into all of the places that belong to him. And and he, and all the places are, it it includes quiet time, but it's much more than that. He, He belongs in every piece of your day. And that's actually where some of us are getting hung up in growth, right, with Christ's likeness. Because there are these pieces of our lives that we're not letting Jesus into. We're, we're not allowing his influence and his word to permeate those places. Uh, Douglas Wilson just reminds, because this is all what Douglas Wilson's really about. He reminds us that this is the aim, right? He says, this means we believe there is no aspect or sphere of life that is outside the authority of Jesus Christ. He is not only the Lord of nations but also the Lord of barbecue and the Lord of blues and the Lord of oil painting and the Lord of auto mechanics and the Lord of dance and the Lord of public policy and the Lord of worship and the Lord of lawn mowing and the Lord of brewing beer and the Lord of novel writing and the Lord of public health and the Lord of presidents and the Lord of county commissioners and not to be tiresome, the Lord of everything. Conversational prayer is the best way you have most of the time to affirm that and put that truth into practice. Because at the barbecue, at the concert, at the town hall meeting, your, your capacity to bring the Lord into that, in that moment, affirms his ownership over that moment. So yeah, I think constant prayer should be our goal. I think if I ask you next week, how's your prayer life? I hope that the first thing you ask is, Was I in constant prayer with the Lord? Okay, so Paul is not just leaving us hanging out to dry by giving us this high calling and saying, you should be about constant prayer. Now get to it. He actually gives us tactics, one main tactic, one main strategy for constant prayer. Look back at verse 18. To that end, keep alert. So he tells us to be Constant in prayer. And then he says, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance. It's interesting that he, he knows, of course, that perseverance, that, that alertness, like staying awake and paying attention in, to, to the realities, the spiritual realities in life, it's hard. <laughs> you have to have perseverance to stay alert. But he says that keeping alert is the way that you can increase your prayerfulness. So how do I increase my constant prayerfulness? It's about alert. It's about being alert. It's about pursuing alertness. And we have precedent for this in, in, in the garden of Gethsemane, where Jesus tells the disciples watch and pray. And they are, they keep failing to be alert. So how are you and I, going to grow in this area of being constant prayers. 
we got to be alert. We got to pay attention. We got to pay attention. So here are some of the things that the text is calling us to pay attention to. As we covered last week, a really big one in this section of scripture is, is that we are supposed to be alert to the realities of spiritual warfare. We're supposed to be alert to the realities of spiritual warfare. There's an old hymn that says, Christian, seek not repose. Hear thy gracious Savior say, Thou art in the midst of foes, therefore watch and pray. Christian, seek not repose. Hear what your Savior says. You are in the midst of foes, therefore watch and pray. So one of the things that can keep us alert is just to remember, as Paul encouraged us to do in our text last week, to understand that we don't wrestle with mere flesh and blood. That might allow us to take a break from our alertness. But we wrestle against spiritual forces, principalities and powers, authorities. And, and so they're, they're way stronger, way more skillful and wise than mere flesh and blood. And so we should be alert to that. Here's the second thing I think the text commends our alertness uh, to, to, to be alert about. And that is our own extreme neediness. The word supplication is mentioned twice in our text. And that word specifically just means to beg and plead out of an extreme sense of need. To beg and to plead out of an extreme sense of need. You know, uh, I've been thinking a lot about sophistry lately. And essentially, what you've got with sophistry is you've got someone appealing to some kind of level of intellectual authority, but deep down they don't really even know what they're talking about. They're oversimplifying, or let's say maybe they have wisdom without wheels. They have some, like, it, it appears that they have some level of insight, and yet really when you start paying attention, they don't, they don't know their head from their tail, you know. And, and I've been thinking a lot about that because there's a lot of it out there. You know, spiritual sophistry is just the same thing. Paul warns against people who have the appearance of godliness but deny the power thereof. And people who want to be teachers but don't even know what they're talking about, right? Who are always learning but never coming to the knowledge of the truth and so forth. One of the places that I have to watch out for, uh, lest I become a spiritual sophist, is, is this sense that I know that I'm needy. There's a sophist way of thinking about that. There's, there's, a, there's a way that makes it, that sounds right, but then if you really press in, you find out that I don't know what I'm talking about. So I would tell you right now, intellectually, I'm entirely needy. Like this next heartbeat, wait for it, there it is. That was from God, and the next one will have to be from God too, or else I'll drop dead. I can tell you that I'm totally needy in the sense that I'm engaged in a spiritual war. I can tell you that I have no resources to produce anything good on my own. I could even quote, you know, Jesus to you from John, where he says, you know, apart from me, you won't bear any fruit. So how do I know if I really believe that? Or if I'm just a spiritual sophist? Look at my prayer life. That's, 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 that's how you'll know. How do you know if you're just repeating things you don't actually understand about your own need? Look at your prayer life. Look at your prayer life. If, if your prayer life is, uh, is like most of ours, it's really likely that you have a bunch of information loaded about this deep into your being that's just got a long way to travel because it's not causing you 
to do what Paul says, and that is to be constant in prayer, constantly begging out of an extreme need, out of an extreme urgent need. So, yeah, be, if, you, if you can be alert to your own need, you will pray constantly. And if you are not praying constantly, and if I am not praying constantly, then no matter what I would write on a statement of faith, no matter what I would tell someone in sharing the gospel with them, I don't actually believe. I need God as much as I say I believe. So that's the second thing to be alert to. The third thing to be alert to is just the needs of others. Paul very helpfully says, you know, pray pray with supplication. And then he kind of doubles back in verse 18. And he's like, supplication for the saints, for all the saints. Uh, John Calvin nails this in terms of how this could work for you tomorrow. He says, there is not a moment of our life. This is kind of affirming the last point. There is not a moment of our life at which the duty of prayer may not be urged by our own wants. But unremitting prayer may likewise be enforced by this consideration, that the necessities of our brethren ought to move our sympathy. And when is it, so this is so true, just don't ever forget this, this next thing. When is it that some member of the church is not suffering distress or needing assistance? If at any time, so here's the strategy, when at some point your constant prayer trickles out, it's like, what am I going to pray about now? If at any time we are colder or more indifferent about prayer than we ought to be, because we do not feel the pressure of immediate necessity, he says, look to the needs of others. Look to the needs of others. Let us instantly reflect how many of our brethren are worn out by varied and heavy afflictions, are weighed down by sore perplexity, or are reduced to the lowest distress. And here's another one. Just pause that. Let me insert you know, what he should have said. Let me correct Calvin here, okay? Uh, Here's another category. Don't only think about those people. This is, here's a trick I play on myself. Don't only think about the people who are struggling. Think about the people who are doing really well, and that's their struggle. Because then you start realizing that that's you too. <laughs> and you're kind of back to where you need to be. See, Calvin, you're right. right? I'm right, right? Calvin should have said that. Anyway, if reflections like these do not rouse us from our lethargy, we must have hearts of stone. So when you're... One of the ways that you can use alertness to stir constant prayer is to just ask, who's struggling right now? Who do I need to be praying for? And so forth. I love that Paul asked them to pray for him in the next verse, in verse 19. And I love that because I, I want to commend something to you that's like a rare opportunity. A lot of times when we ask people for help, we feel like they have something better to do maybe or that we're being an imposition. But this is the great thing. When you ask someone to pray for you, you're just giving them something to do that they actually need to do anyway. You're just giving them a reason to do it. So it's like the one thing you can just like, with no guilt, no hesitancy. You know when you go to Starbucks and there's two kinds of people at Starbucks, the one who has no conscience and orders like 15 add-ins, and then like the middle Midwestern guys that are like, just coffee black, please. And like, like... You know, I would like some cream, but if it's too much trouble, it's okay. You know, the people who, who are willingly, you know, imposing their, their extra, 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 extras, and then there are people who are really afraid to do that. Well, if you're really afraid to do that, that translates into your life, and you're like, I don't know what, I don't, I don't want to ask for help, and so on. No, this is the place, for instance. You can ask a 
a brother or sister to pray for you. And you're giving them a gift. Because you're giving them something godly to do with their brains. And we all need more of that. So supplication for others is, is one of the ways we can stay alert when we actually start thinking about what other people need. But in addition, we can be helpful to each other by just asking for prayer more often. To that end, as Paul would say, on our base camp you know, community site, there is a new section. Just when you click on it, it just says prayer requests. And you just put your prayer requests right there. And they won't get lost with all the other stuff going on and so forth. So please make use of that. And just make use of frequently texting one another and asking for prayer. Uh, number four. Number four, alertness. Be alert to the gospel that is right now going out to the nations. Paul, as he's writing this, is in prison. And God had done such a work in his heart that he did not think prison a good enough reason to stop talking about Jesus. And here's the really cool thing. Right now, there are lots of those kinds of people doing evangelism and missions and ministry all over the world. And you don't even necessarily need to know their names to just remind yourself from time to time in your source of reasons to be alert, ways of being alert, ways of praying constantly. God, there's some person out there who's tired and they're really, they've really put it all on the line. And Lord, right now, you know them. You know who I'm praying for right now. I don't know. I, you know them. God, just right now, Lord, just give them a little boost. Get, I'm Venmoing them a little energy, a little, a little faith, a little of my faith, or just give them a little grace and just help them go down the line one more day. Number five, be alert to God's many blessings. There's another place uh, where alertness and watchfulness is connected to prayer, and it's in Colossians 4.2. And it just says this, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful with it, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. So one of the ways you can be constant in prayer is to just be thankful and just pay attention to all that God is doing. David writes in the Psalms, you know, the heavens declare the glory of God. Day by day, they pour forth speech. God's talking to you all day through the world that he has made, telling you that he is good, telling you that he is powerful. Just look at a tree and thank God. Like, like there's a million and one ways to take a cue from what he's saying in creation and beyond, to be grateful. And that's another place where our alertness can lead to constant prayer. We just tend to become sleepy, indifferent, lethargic to God's goodness. This will be, this will be a major regret of probably all of us when we get to heaven. We will regret not saying a thousand thank yous every day. You know, someone once said that uh, if you woke up tomorrow and all you had in the morning was what you thanked God for the day before, what would you have? There's a million reasons to be thankful. Just if you just said, Thursdays are Thanksgiving days. And today, constant prayer is just going to be, that coffee is awesome. This this tree is beautiful. Lord, this, you know, whatever. If you just did that, you'd have a whole day, easily a whole day of things to talk to God about. And finally, <laughs> this one's funny and it's so true. Be alert to the fact that 
basically all day, you're creating half-baked prayers that just need another sentence on the end and they become a prayer. Right now, they're a worry. Like literally, help me God. Three more words to the end of that worry and you got yourself a prayer. Think of it this way. like Just all of the stuff you're thinking about throughout the day, it's like you're filling up your draft folder uh, with with half-written prayers to God. And there's all sorts of, we could speculate about all the reasons why you won't just add those three final words to that thought. Maybe you think you've got to make a better birdhouse. Or maybe there's some pride. Or maybe you're just not, you're just not aware of how close you got to a prayer. Because you were this close. If you would just start paying attention to what you're thinking. If you would just be aware, as Paul calls us to, Take every thought captive and bring it into obedience to Christ. You know, all of your worries are three, letter, three words away from becoming obedient to Christ. Right? I trust God. God help me. Something like that. You have hundreds of unfinished prayers that float around in your head every single day. That if you would just add a few more words to at the end, could become this constant source of energy to fuel constant prayer. So that's constant prayer. That's why I think it's the goal. That's why I th- Here's how I think we get there. Now let's talk even more specifically, just to give you, just to spark your imagination as to how this might look. Let's just throw together a, a, a quick and cheap schedule and say, what would it look like to just be more successful in praying on a daily basis? So here's the schedule that I came up with. Wake up. Here's what I, the one thing I've learned a few years ago was I would get up and I wouldn't say good morning to God. And I would, it would take me a while before I talked to God. Then I realized, okay, that's an easy fix. So now, as soon as I get awake, as soon as I'm realized that I'm here, uh, I say, good morning, God. That's about it. You know, maybe, maybe if something's like right there, I'll, I'll say it, but really, Saying good morning to God and then getting coffee, those are my priorities. Uh, You know, you have a next routine, whether that's making breakfast or driving to work or doing your devotionals in the morning, and say, I'm just covering these six areas of alertness here. So why don't we just, at that time, as you're driving to work, as as you're kind of sitting down to your devotional or so, why don't you just take that moment to say, Lord, help me remember that the lion is prowling and... Lord, here's some things that I know I need from you today. You know, around lunchtime, why don't you just check base camp or text somebody and say, how can I be praying for you? And then we're, we're, we're doing supplication for all the saints. Around two, what if you just grabbed, you know, what if you just randomly prayed for a place in the world? Maybe it's in the news. Maybe you know someone that's serving there. Maybe you pray for someone that we know in the Middle East or something. What if you just said 2 p.m. and it's on your calendar and it pops up as a notification, nations, 2 p.m. Okay, there's another thing I'm going to be praying about. Driving home, cooking dinner, whatever, that time of day. Thank God for his many blessings. And then at bedtime, let's try to clear out that uh, draft folder if there's anything left. God, is there anything else I need to say? Is there anything I need to confess? So forth. So right there, just, just that, you've got six different places for prayer in your day. You're praying about different things each time. 
kind of covering the list that we, that we came up with. And this is really, friends, I do think that whether you have this or something else, I would, I would strongly encourage you to say, you know, this is an area of my life that could, as John Stott said, be revolutionary for me if I could just be more frequent in constant prayer. So that's, that's all I've got to say about that. I want to show you kind of how Tim Kerr, my, the, the book, Take Words With You, works. I just grabbed a section of verses. And as I introduce communion, I just want to read these verses to you without telling you the references. I just want to read God's word to you as a way of introducing communion. To you, O Lord, I lift up my soul. O my God, in you I trust. Let me not be put to shame. Let not my enemies exalt over me. Imagine praying that on the way to work. He has delivered me from the domain of darkness and transferred me to the kingdom of his beloved son. By canceling the record of death that stood against me with its legal demands, he set this aside, nailing it to the cross. And he disarmed the rulers and authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. Now is the judgment of this world, and now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And when I am lifted up from the earth, I will draw all people to myself. Yet he saved me for his namesake, that he might make known his mighty power. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean from all your uncleanness. And from your idols, I will cleanse you, and I will give you a new heart and a new spirit, and I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. He sent out his word and healed them and delivered them from their destruction. So as we come and partake of this remembrance of Jesus Christ's crucifixion, resurrection, ascension and reign, as we remember that Jesus died to bring us into fellowship with God. Let's just thank God. Let's thank God and say, God, let me enjoy and exercise this relationship which you have paid for. Let me enjoy and exercise that, Lord, as you partake. Let's thank those things.